Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Well, welcome to this edition of Women in Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Andrea Olson, and I'm here with Desiree Grace, and you're listening to the Riveting Exchanges session. We want to talk a little bit today about internal selling and how do you share ideas with a coworker or a boss and get internal buy-in for maybe an idea or a change, and how do you get that push through the organization? Because we all know that it takes a village, and it's something where if you have an idea, you need other people on board. So Desiree, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Andrea. How about you? Oh, fine, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a great day. The sun is out. It's a little overcast, but you know, you can't beat a nice spring. So though it's really, really a wonderful thing. But you know, Desiree, I, I know that you have been in multiple positions in different organizations where, you know, the fundamental thing that you've had to face is selling an idea internally, maybe to upper management, but also to maybe employees and peers. Could you speak to a little bit about your experience and just the concept of internal selling? Absolutely. And I know you can speak to that as well from your work history, but I think it's really critical for our audience to understand that if you've got an idea, you don't execute without selling the idea first, particularly if it involves other departments, other areas. So my key piece of advice, and we can certainly expand on this in our discussion, is a concept I call organizational empathy. and. Hmm. What I mean by that is understanding another department and not just, hey, well, it's accounting, their job is making sure the numbers match up. You need to go a little deeper than that. You need to understand what their goals are, how are they measured, maybe even how they're incentivized. So, you know, you could have an accounts receivable department that has been charged with reducing the AR days. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you could have a purchasing department. You might think, oh, well, their job is to get the lowest price. Maybe not. Maybe the organizational strategy is high service. And maybe the purchasing department's job is to make sure you never, ever run out of, quote, unquote, A items. So you need to really understand what's important to your colleagues and the other departments. What's been your experience with that? You know, I mean, I I think about internal selling as as a skill that everyone needs to have, no matter what their situation. I mean, if you think about the most fundamental level of selling an idea to a sibling, a spouse, your child, right? It's about convincing somebody that something is a good idea and then it benefits them And it's typically not about using authoritative power to shove something down someone's throat, right? You never get full and authentic buy-in that way. And the skill of internal selling, oh yeah, yeah. It's, you you get that pushback, right? Or you get that, you know, maybe secondary, I don't want to say backstabbing, but, you know, thwarting a project, you know, or slowing it down or impeding it because they're not really bought in. And so internal selling to me, it's not about convincing. It's about changing hearts and minds and understanding the person that you're talking to. And to your point, 
what are their goals, what's important to them, and what aspect of your idea is going to be relevant and improve their situation in one way or another. So, you know, I've dealt with different varieties of, of staff where, you know, we had internal inefficiencies and processes were done highly manually, right? Just an inordinate amount of, of manual work. And the idea I had, even as, as a boss, was to say, hey, let's automate this, right? That, that makes it so much simpler. It makes your job easier. You know, we can get all of these things done in, in a third or a fourth of the time and move on to, you know, more exciting projects. But in the process of internal selling, I discovered that it was a fear point for employees to have that dramatic of a change because they had looked at their job as all of these annual activities. And so once you, you propose taking that away, they couldn't see the bigger picture value of what that what opportunities that provided them as well as what opportunity and growth it provided for the organization. So it wasn't about a practical discussion of why this was important. It was about how can you help them understand and shape the opportunities that are there before them and minimize that fear. So, you know, how you sell and how you kind of shape that pitch to the individual is critically important to gain that buy-in. Oh, yeah. And you need to be crystal clear about what the end game is, what you're trying mm -hmm. to accomplish and why. You know, to your point, you may need to reassure someone, look, I'm not going after your job. I want you to devote right. your skills and talents to something more higher value. Um, sure. The other piece of that, too, is I think you do need to really identify not only the goals that we talked about previously, you need to identify the personalities. Some people, yeah. you know, they want data. And if you say, mm -hmm. okay, here's the metrics, here's the data, here's the spreadsheets, they're all in. Other people, hey, maybe they want to feel like they've got a say in it. So right. the best approach with that individual could be, what are your thoughts? What are your suggestions? How would you like to see the outcomes and mm -hmm. involve them? Oh, completely. You know, so it's about making that map, that lay of the land of all the people that need to be involved in the process, who you need to pitch to, and what their trigger points are, you know, what they care about and how they would potentially want to be engaged with this idea. But, you know, following that, there's also the other side of the coin of those people that maybe you identify that are going to be roadblocks, negative Nancy's, you know, those ones that really want to kind of thwart something. Have you had, have you faced those folks? How have you handled those? Oh, yeah. And I would take a step back and I would say, you really do need to know who's your champion, who's your neutral yeah. party, and who is the negative Nancy or Ned in the crowd. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you have three separate jobs at that point. You need to keep your champion a champion. You need to try to move the neutral to positive. And at mm -hmm. a minimum, you want to first seek to understand why someone is negative, and then if possible, move them to neutral and then move them to positive. And you need to be right. realistic. That's not always possible. Right, right. So 
if that's the case, sometimes you can take a vote and most adults, and I say that tongue in cheek, most adults mm-hmm. will concede, okay, five of you voted for this, you know, two of us voted against it. We're going to go with the group decision or recommendation. I literally had a scenario at one point where as the VP of sales, I went to the controller and proposed something that was financially more in her wheelhouse. I was trying to reduce the accounts receivable days and I was trying to put a shorter leash on people that quite frankly didn't have the best credit history. So they'd they'd earned a shorter leash. And she was paralyzed by fear. Well, what if we lose customers? What if we lose customers? What if it doesn't work out? And I tried the old well, if we keep doing the same thing we've been doing, we're going to get the same results. You know, ABC customer is going to continue to be slow pay and still take their cash discount. Mm -hmm. And so then I did the the next best thing, which was, well, let's try a beta. Let's roll this out. So that sort of moved her to neutral. Okay, how long is the beta going to be? What's going to happen if it doesn't work out? So, you know, good questions and totally legit from her role to be asking those questions. You know, that's what a responsible Mm -hmm. controller would do. But she was still paralyzed by fear. In that case, Andrea, I literally said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to roll this out. We're going to over-communicate. We're going to try it for a year. At the end of the year, if we have lost customers or our AR days have not improved, it is my fault. Everybody in this room, I'm the one responsible if this doesn't work out. Oh, wow. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it, Desiree. No lie. I think to some degree, the lesson there is if you really, really believe in it and you're really, really passionate about it, you have to own it and you have to take responsibility. Now, you do. That garners so much respect too. I mean, people will see you taking a leap and then, you know, next time you're, you're selling an idea, they're going to have a lot more faith. Well, and it's a calculated risk. It always needs to be a calculated risk. I was positive that that idea was going to have a positive impact financially. And I was equally Mm -hmm. positive that if we managed it correctly, commercially, it was not going to have a negative impact. And I I was dead certain it was going to be successful. So that wasn't really much of a risk in my mind. And I was right. Don't get to say that very often, but I was right. And it all worked out beautifully. We reduced the AR days. I had one cranky customer I had to get on the phone with, which, you know, I was prepared for that. We kept the customer. He actually started paying us and not being the problem child, taking the cash discount and taking 80 days to pay a 30-day invoice. You get the idea. But in that scenario, the lessons learned were understand and address the concerns. And, you know, okay, I got her moved close to neutral. Yeah. But at some point, if the thing that's holding somebody back is fear or not wanting to be the one holding the bag, if it goes south, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you do just have to own it. You do. You do for sure. You know, and that's an excellent example of, you know, if 
if you're stepping up with an idea, no matter what your role, if you're going to put your name against it and say, I'm responsible, you can do that in any role of the organization. You really can at the end of the day. And I've also found that when you're selling an idea internally, you know, that concept of roles sometimes gets misconstrued. And people believe that when you have upper management endorse something, that then you don't have to sell it anymore. And that is, Good point. Uh, I found completely wrong. A great example I will tell you is, you know, I pitched to my team. It was a, with global marketing and communications about doing a global rebrand. You know, this was a mm-hmm. major endeavor. This is going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, I think we ended up spending, pushing probably $300,000, dollars for the first phase, right? Mm-hmm. This is not yeah. a, you know, a change. And, you know, of course, my team was super eager to do it and went to the CEO and said, this is what I think we should do, why we should do it. This is how it's going to benefit the organization. He said, yes, wonderful, great. And, you know, got the endorsement of the board and everybody's happy, right? We're moving forward, you know, budgets approved. You go, this is great. What more do I need to do? But the big thing that I found out and then had to actually really fundamentally go back and do, and I acted early, was other departments, other department heads felt like their ideas and their initiatives were now taking a back door, right? Mm, okay. Funded into this initiative. And so what about product development? What about sales? What about, you know, a tech support, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was a matter of going and selling to those departments because they need to explain it to their employees, right? They're like, why yes. are we doing this rebrand? You know, we've got IT needs or we've got, you know, needs for, you know, new tools and things like that, right? They're not seeing it, how it's relevant to them. And so it was a matter of actually going to all those department heads and sometimes even presentations to their teams about why we were doing it, getting some of their input early on before we even started of what do you want to see out of this? What can we do for you? So it's never, ever really in a bubble, right? Because they could easily go to the CEO or the board at another point in time. And, you know, these types of things happen and say, we shouldn't do this. We're going to waste our time. I've got customers that are so happy with our our brand right now. If we change that, they're going to leave, you know, it doesn't mean any of that's founded, but it starts putting fear and doubt in the minds of the organization. And if, you, if you're doing something like that, that's so holistic, you need every single person to understand why it's happening. And you need to understand how that's impacting the organization financially. If you have a downturn during your project, and let's say, hey, we're going to have to cut a couple bodies, you know, we're going to have to increase or change goals. Let's say, I don't know, you're not getting your bonuses this year. Ooh, yeah. you know, what, happens, what happens to your global branding project, right? Oh, well, we're invested, so we're going to continue, but yet everyone else has to sacrifice. So then you really look terrible. So it's not just about image, though. You have to really be able to position it in a way that the organization or department, whoever it's impacting, understands not only why it's a positive thing, but what they're going to get out of it and how they can be involved and influence and shape it. Completely agree. and. The 
other piece of that puzzle that you talked about, you know, timing is critical. Oh, God, yes. You know, there could be an issue with the timing. And, you know, if your timing is off, you know, that could be a problem. You need to be sensitive to your point, the environment. How are the other departments perceiving this? They're perceiving their pet projects are at risk now. So, you know, you've got to address that. And, you know, it's the old WIFM, what's in it for you? What's in it Mm -hmm. for me? You need to be able to articulate to those departments what's in it for them, but also respect what they might be losing and and be able to address it. I think that's the kind of the other piece here is you do have to be careful about your timing in the external environment. And sometimes you might need to say, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to owe you one. There there is horse trading that goes on all the time. Look, you you know, you help me out with my pet project that I am going to flat out owe you support on your pet project. Right, right. You know, and and I've I've also seen, I totally agree, and I've also seen the fact that if you get some of those folks involved in your project and allow them, you know, maybe they don't want to do any work, right? Maybe it's like, oh, thanks, I I get the benefit of this, but I don't want to do any work to execute it. Mm -hmm. But most people, nine out of 10, always want to be able to voice their opinion, right? So it's a matter of leveraging those other folks in the process to actually gather new ideas, right? Even from naysayers, right? They might say, I don't see why we're doing this. You know, I don't understand. And, you know, you can go over, you know, the initiative and why, but you say, hey, so what do you think we should do? Or what problems do you think we have in this area that should be addressed as part of this? You know, is there something we're missing? And it actually might glean another aspect to that project or idea that makes it even better. So it's a matter of listening, getting their feedback, and then having that response of, you know, yes, we should do that. I'd love you to be a part of that component. Or, you know, yes, you bring up a great point and talk to them about timing, right? You know, when is a good time to do that and make that change folded in? Or, hey, let's go through the process together because I think that's relevant and I'll help you sell that through the organization. So then you become that go-to influential person. So it becomes multifaceted. And if you know how to sell internally, people will come to you then to help sell ideas and move things forward, even from other departments. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with having that organizational empathy or compromising media in the middle, pulling in other people's opinions and their priorities. Because guess what? You're also internally developing your brand of being someone that is sensitive and respectful to other departments. So mm-hmm. that's never going to hurt you because you're going to need to pitch an idea again, or right. you may want something from them again. But also, quite frankly, you need to collaborate and work with your colleagues, you, you are not a lone ranger in any organization. I mean, even as an independent contractor with a consulting business, you know, you've established relationships, you've got people you work with time over time. 
And again, it's a personal professional brand that says, okay, this is an individual I can work with. Right, right. And the other thing I think that many people, depending on their role in the organization, there are cases where, you know, there's a hierarchy and you have to get blessing from so-and-so and that's the way it is, right? And then as soon as you have that blessing, you know, you receive the things you need to move something forward. You know, it's a very linear situation. Yes. But honestly, if you look at most companies, even if there's an environment where you have to have the CEO tell you yes, or your boss tell you yes, that just because you get yes, doesn't mean that they're going to take on this project and start communicating to the rest of the organization why it's important and that we should do this. And I, I say this for this reason. We've got a client right now that we're working with that the CEO wants to better understand company culture, right? And wants to start mm-hmm. establishing a real structure around what it means to be a part of the organization and putting some definition behind that and then therefore behaviors, et cetera. Okay, makes sense. Right. Now, he's articulated this to leadership, right? His leadership team. And guess what? Just because he said he wants to do this does not mean everyone's on board, first of all. Second, that we're working with three folks, a person from marketing, a person from HR, and a person from the, the kind of the field sales group. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are, are kind of heading this initiative. So now they're in the position of, owning it, yet there are other counterparts in, let's say, IT or or other areas or accounting goes, man, we don't see this as valuable. You know, maybe they're doing this just to look good to the CEO. I don't see why this is important, even though it came from the top and there was a clear direction of this is what we need to do. This is who's going to lead the initiative. And, you know, this is why we want to do it. But yet there's still not 100% buy-in. There's just acceptance. And so I'd say- That's a key difference too. Everyone needs to understand that just because it's been told that we're going to do this doesn't mean that everyone bought in. They just accept it. And so they're going to be the, it's like pulling a horse, right? That doesn't want to move. They might not fight you, but they're definitely not helping you. And so, you know, it's the bell curve of, you know, early adopters, kind of middle folks and the people that don't really care. At some point, you're never going to get the people that don't really care. Right. Except that on. But it's the get the early adopters on board that are actually positive. Like, hey, I'm really glad we're doing this. Awesome. This is what you can do to help. Right. Just share your opinion with others and let us know what they say. Tell them that, hey, I really think we should do this. And if you hear some negative responses, let us know, because you can't be in front of every single person in the organization. So it's getting those early adopters. And then the middle group, it goes back to internal selling. You might have to take an inordinate amount of time in meetings or phone calls or email correspondence to really get some of those middle folks into that front, you know, eager buy-in group, because you'll lose momentum on projects. They'll become that this is what we were required to do rather than this is what we all agree is best for the organization. Exactly. And I think you hit on two key points. If you've got cheerleaders, by all means, use them and Mm -hmm. accept that sometimes you do need to come back at something more than once, whether you're tabling it till you get additional information, 
whether you just need to be persistent. And let's not underestimate that person or people in the organization that they legitimately have a tactic of they won't do anything at first. They're right, going to wait right. and see, okay, uh -huh. you know, Andrea's pitched this, the CEO says, yeah, the CEO says, yeah, all the time. I'm going to exactly. wait and see if he tells me to do it a second or third time to see just how oh, serious yeah. he is. Sure. We've sure. all worked right. with those people. Oh, totally. Or, you know, in addition with your example, you know, hey, Andrea pitched us to the CEO and he said he has to do it. Andrea, that's all she ever does is pitch stuff, right? You have to look at your brand, your personal brand as well as that it, during that internal selling process. Do you have a reputation of being ideas all the time and 50% of them get actually started and 10% of them actually get done, right? What's your track record, you know? Are you a chicken little all the time? You have to kind of fold that into not only because you talked about earlier what that person wants and what their nature is and what drives them and, and what concerns they have. But then look at your own brand and say, how do they perceive me? Because I need to go into that internal selling pitch in a way that maybe is a little more humble or maybe is a little more identifying opportunities to collaborate more when maybe it's and I don't often talk to. So it's a moving target for sure. Oh, absolutely. Because if you don't have a high say-do ratio, if you don't execute and follow through, you mm -hmm. will lose the ability to be taken seriously within the organization. Right. And, you know, That's just the like idea. Right. And just like the, the guy or gal that says, well, I'm not going to do anything till I'm asked a third time. I mean, you know, recognize that that's part of it. And mm -hmm. also recognize that if maybe you're new to the organization, new to the department, you have to earn your stripes. Yeah, you do. And, you, you know, people are going to test you to see, to your point, Andrea, are you chicken little with all these great ideas, but you never execute? There, mm -hmm. There's a lot of that to be taken into consideration if this is a new department, a new organization for you. And I think you do need to be sensitive to that as well. But hopefully in our conversation of internal selling, we've offered some good, tangible, actionable feedback to our listeners. In closing, do you think there's anything we've missed that we need to talk to our listeners about to help them be successful when they sell internally? You know, that's a great question, Desiree. And the, the last thing I would say is that, you know, internal selling is much more listening than anything else. And it's not just hearing, right? The cliche, if I hear you, but I don't understand you, or I'm not really listening to you. It's think about what that person's motivator is for what responses they're giving you, right? Is it because you're asking them at a time that they're rushed and you're not getting a lot of good information back because they're, they're onto something else, something is on fire? Or is it because they've never really worked with your department? Or is it that they don't really understand what you're doing and why it's important to them? Or they're concerned about their budget? You know, understand that lay of the land. And that requires a lot of listening and asking questions of why. Why do you feel that way? What do you think? 
really doing that investigation basically into some of those key folks that are going to be part of your process that really need to be on board, understand them inside and out. And for that project, it'll be mission critical, but for long-term, it'll pay back dividends infinitely. I agree. I think the key piece is to listen, ask a lot of questions, be patient, be persistent, seek to understand, Mm -hmm. understand their perspective, their pain points. And you're right, why they might be a neutral or a negative, because those are the folks that could really sabotage the project or the idea, sometimes deliberately, sometimes very passively. But if you want to be successful, you've got to understand where those people are coming from. And that's going to be the key. I mean, it's, it's easy to keep a champion a champion by keeping them updated and keeping them looped in. But yeah. those, those people that are in the other two categories, those are the ones you need to invest your time and energy and empathy into. Totally agreed. So next podcast, we're going to have an interview. And we think our listeners will enjoy another person's perspective on the world of women and manufacturing. We thank everyone for listening to this episode of Riveting Exchanges. I'd like to thank my co-host, Andrea Olson. I'm Desiree Grace. And until we speak again, we wish you well. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.